Well, good morning again, church. I echo what David said a few moments ago about our vacation Bible school. I'm so excited about that coming up. I know our boys and girls, many of them have already left to go to Children's Church. I'm very excited about uh, what, the opportunity that we have through VBS to be able to proclaim the gospel to children. And so I encourage you to volunteer to be a part of that. Uh, you're, you, you never retire out of your uh, need to serve in children's ministry. Let me just make that very clear. Um, I know some people have said over the years, you know, I served my time when my kids were little. Well, children's ministry is not prison, um, okay? And you don't serve your time and you never graduate from, from that opportunity. And so we need people to serve in VBS. We need people to pray for VBS. I'm very encouraged by the theme this year of Into the Wild. I was watching all those animals pop up a second ago, and I was immediately transported back to Africa because the three times that I've been to Africa, I've been able to go on a couple of safaris while I was there. Um, that cute little hippo that, that popped open its mouth, well, I, I've been about 30 feet from a hippo, and it's not that cute, okay? It is pretty terrifying. Um, we were driving around through the African bush late into the, as, the, as the sun was setting, trying to make our way back to the, to the lodge that we were staying at, and we rounded a corner around a bush and hit a watering hole, and there was a hippo in that watering hole about as far from me as Howard is right now, and it popped up out of that watering hole, and, and I about jumped out of the safari vehicle. It scared me so bad. So I've got a picture if you want to see it sometime. Uh, me about... 25 yards from a female lion just sitting there looking at us. Um, it was an awe-inspiring and terrifying sight. So I'm grateful that we can uh, see the pictures on the screen and not have to have the animals right here with us this week. So, If you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 20 as we continue this morning through our series on the parables of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at what is commonly known as the parable of the vineyard workers or the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And it's the story about a man who owned a vineyard and went to the town square to hire workers to work in his vineyard. A very simple story, one that many people could relate to, but in, in this very simple story we have a very important, profoundly important spiritual lesson and one which Jesus, many of Jesus' hearers didn't understand and unfortunately, one that I think many of us in the church don't understand as well either. We live in a worldly economy that is marked by the standards of fairness and equity. Everything around us is based on the idea of fairness and equality. And from the time we are young, we are steeped in the, in the, in the language and the importance of fairness. And so when one child gets the bigger slice of pizza or an extra cookie, the other child yells out what? That's not fair. We also place a high value on equity and making sure that, that, that everyone is treated equal, that everyone gets a prize. And so in that insanity, we have participation trophies where just because you put on a uniform now, you get a trophy, right? Now, some of you probably say, well, that's, that's not too bad. We also have this insane idea that when you throw a birthday party for your children, that not only should your child receive gifts, but every child that comes should receive a bag of gifts about as equal to that. And we haven't really taught the children a very important lesson, which is this. It's not your birthday. 
It's not your birthday we're celebrating. But we all want everybody to be fair and everybody to be equal. We place a high value on fairness and equality. We also live in a culture that, that places a high value on merit and hard work, and rightfully so. Hard work and initiative should be rewarded. Equal pay should be expected in our culture for equal work. And people shouldn't be allowed to coast on a free ride while others foot the bill. We understand that, and we place high value on hard work, industriousness, and merit. And that you get in life what you work for and what you deserve. But here's the problem with that when it comes to the kingdom of God. When it comes to entrance into heaven and the kingdom of God, nobody enters the kingdom of God on the basis of merit. That's the problem. You see, one of the things that's always disturbed me as as a Christian is that when it comes to Jesus and it comes to the things that Jesus teaches us, in my estimation, in my humanness, Jesus gets it all wrong, right? I mean, okay, Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, where we just begin this passage, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. That sounds really good and spiritual. It just doesn't make sense in our world, does it? No, we don't. We don't give out the biggest trophy to the, to the SEC team that finishes last. If we did, Mississippi State would have the best trophy case in the Southeastern Conference. Last night, my family and I, we went to the Balloon Festival. And my son Nathan and my sister-in-law, they got there a little bit before us. And they navigated through traffic and were very pleased to be able to park really close to the water park and really close there and felt like, you know, we did really good. They asked me where I parked. I said, I parked way back there past the school about a mile away. And the reason why I did that was because when I pulled up there and I saw the crowd and I saw the people that were walking, I said, I'm not parking up there. Because I can promise you when it came last night and I was sitting at home and they were still sitting at Point Mallard Park, they were not quoting to themselves, the last will be first and the first will be last. They weren't quoting that last night. That doesn't make sense in our world. And you see, when it comes to the entrance into heaven, into the kingdom of God, nobody enters the kingdom on the basis of merit. Nobody enters on the basis of their own goodness or the good works in which they have accomplished. The reality of it is, is that nobody deserves heaven. Nobody. And that's what this parable is all about. Because Jesus is teaching His disciples a lesson about entrance into the kingdom of God. And as He does, and as He tells us this parable, just be honest, when we read this in a second, it goes against all of our natural human tendencies towards merit and equity and fairness. Almost every time when I was a new Christian and I would read this parable, I would read it and say, I don't understand what the problem in this parable is. And it's because Jesus is teaching us something very important that goes against the grain of the way that many of us think about things. So let's read the parable. As we already read in verse 30, Jesus says, Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so in chapter 20, he begins to tell a parable to illustrate this. In verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right I will give you. So they went. And going out about the sixth hour, this would be noon, and the ninth hour, that would be three in the afternoon, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now let's be honest. How many of you, when you read that parable, you think to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of siding here with the first hour workers, right? I mean, to me, it seems like that if, if those worked at the end of the day got a denarius, then those who worked all day for 12 hours should get a whole lot more. Well, let's unpack this parable a little bit to understand exactly what it is that Jesus is trying to teach us here. First of all, these men who were hired were common day laborers there in, in Israel. And men like this were usually unskilled at any particular trade. They, they had not acquired enough skill in any one particular field to be able to hold down a regular job. So they couldn't be master carpenters. They, 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 they weren't necessarily good at farming. And so because of that, they were searching for work, but they, they were near the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. And for many of them, the only way that they could earn a living to support their family was to hire out themselves for manual labor. And as such, they had no guarantee of work. When they would go to the marketplace that morning, they would hope that someone would hire them, but they had no guarantee that anybody would come that day to hire them. And if they didn't find a job that day, that meant they didn't make money that day. That meant their family went hungry that day. They were entirely dependent upon the grace of others to hire them out. And because they were unskilled and often desperate for work, they were often easily taken advantage of and often underpaid. Now the setting of this parable seems to indicate that this transaction between the owner of the vineyard and these workers took time somewhere near the harvest time. It doesn't say that, but, but the indication would be the master's need to go out and hire workers was probably due to the fact that the harvest time had come and there was an abundance of grapes that needed to be harvested and, and a wise owner, a wise seasoned vineyard owner understands that grapes must be harvested at just the right time. If you harvest the, the grapes too soon, 
the grapes will be sour, and if you harvest them too late, they'll be too sweet. And most of these vineyard owners employed men who worked in their field, but those men weren't enough to capture all of the harvest at just the right time. And so it would be a very common sight in Jesus' day for an owner of a vineyard to go into the town square looking for day laborers. And so when Jesus begins to tell this parable, they understand what he's talking about. They, they've seen this happen. But there's this unresolved tension in the parable that jumps out very early. And it comes because the master goes out multiple times throughout the day into the marketplace and hires workers. Now there's one of two things that are happening here. Either this is a very generous and benevolent man when it comes to hiring people, or he's very bad at estimating how many laborers that he needs. Because he goes out in the first hour and hires some people, but then he goes back out again at 9 o'clock and at noon and at 3 o'clock and at 5. And why is he hiring people throughout the day? Either he's not doing the right thing about figuring out how many he needs the first time, or in reality he's a very generous person who's hiring people to work when perhaps he really doesn't need them. And so when the story begins, as we read, the owner goes out in the early hours of the morning And he finds these men at the first hour, probably around 6 o'clock in the morning. He negotiated a wage with them. He said, you go out and work in my vineyard, and I will give you a denarius for a day's work. Now, to set the the understanding, a denarius denarius a day was the common pay for a Roman soldier in that day. So that's a very generous wage. That would have been much more than any of them would have expected to receive that day when they went out. They go out at 6 o'clock in the morning and they think to themselves, we just hit the jackpot. This guy came to hire us and he's going to pay us a denarius for one day's work. That was more than any of them had ever made in a day in their lifetime. So it was a very generous offer. And when he goes out the rest of the time at the third hour and then The context seems to indicate both at noon and three at five o'clock. He doesn't negotiate a wage with them. You'll you'll notice that he says in verse four, when he goes to them, he says, you go into my vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right. Now, this is an important part of the story because these men go out into work into this field and they don't really know what they're going to make. But obviously... This owner has such a good reputation in the community that they are willing to go out not knowing how much they will make. And because they're desperate to to receive something for work that day, they go out and they trust the owner that the owner will do what is right. And their options for other employment are limited. So what else are they going to do? Then we get to the whole point of the story. The time comes at the end of the day for payday and the Old Testament law required that owners such as this would pay people that day for the work that they, that they uh, performed because for many of them they literally lived day to day and they needed enough money to be able to provide the staples for their family for that day. This is where we even see Jesus when he tells us in the in the in the in the Lord's prayer to pray today for our daily bread for what we need today. And so he says, pay the people what they what they owe, what they're owed, but start with the last ones and then go to the ones that were hired first. Why does Jesus add that into the parable? 
The reason why is because it's an illustration of what he says in chapter 19, verse 30, about many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And so you see the scene when the foreman comes up to the five o'clock workers, and he says, all of you that were hired at five o'clock, you come and receive your pay, and each of them receives a denarius. You can imagine their joy. They worked one hour, and they just got the same pay in one hour as a Roman soldier gets for an entire day's work. They're excited. And then those that were hired at 3 o'clock, they got a denarius as well. And then those who were hired at noon, they got a denarius as well. And what you need to think about here is is you're you're the first hour guys. You were the guys hired at 6 o'clock, and you're thinking to yourself, what? If they got a denarius, we're fixing a clean house here. This is fixing to be really good. We're about to get a big payday. Surely he's going to pay us more because we worked all day. And when they come up to get their pay, they each receive a denarius. And here's where we feel the immediate tension because if we're really honest at this particular point in the parable, we are very uncomfortable with what Jesus has just said. At this particular point in the parable, we're thinking to ourselves what? That's not fair. The five o'clock people got a bigger slice of pizza. That's not fair. And the trouble that we have is that all of us instinctively understand that God's word is true. And we know that Jesus wouldn't teach us something that, that wasn't right. We know that Jesus knows what he's doing, but at least from my vantage point, I have a tendency to place myself in the, in the shoes of the first hour workers and instinctively understand that it's not fair for those who worked one hour to get paid as much as those who worked all day in the heat. That's not fair. And that's exactly the point of the parable that Jesus is trying to tell us. Because this is not a parable about fair business practices. It's a parable about the kingdom of God and specifically it's a parable about Salvation. You see, salvation is not about what's fair. Salvation is not about getting what's fair. Salvation is not about getting what's owed to you by God. Because if salvation was about getting what you deserve, then the reality of it is is that everyone in here would go to hell. If salvation was about getting what we rightfully deserve before a holy, sovereign, almighty God, and if we really wanted to stand before God and say, I want what's fair, the consequences of that are terrifying. You see, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages The penalty for our sin is death and separation from Him. So fairness when it comes to salvation is that everyone who sins goes to hell. That's fair. And equity when it comes to salvation is that everyone goes to hell and nobody gets saved. That's equality. And the whole point of the parable that Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that when it comes to the kingdom of God and when it comes to salvation, it's not about fairness and equity. 
The first hour workers get paid and they begin to grumble. They send a spokesman to the owner to complain. And the first thing the owner says, do you notice what he says there in verse 13? I am doing you no wrong. I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't I offer you a denarius and didn't you agree with that? Don't I have the right to do with my money what I feel is right? The owner is reminding these workers of this. That when the day began... And they woke up that morning to go out into the marketplace. They were beggars who had nothing and were looking for work. And it was the grace of the owner that approached them to hire them in the first place. And it was the grace of the owner that agreed to pay them a denarius much more than a common day laborer's wage. It was the grace of the Lord that employed them that day. It was the grace of the Lord that extravagantly gave them more than what they deserved. And it was the grace of the owner that continued to go out into the marketplace all throughout the day to hire additional workers who were needy and desperate for work. Because when it comes to salvation, it's about grace, grace, grace. That's what it's about. And so the main point of the parable is simply this. It's in your notes there. The main point of the parable is this. No matter when you come and no matter how much you've done, all enter the kingdom of God solely on the basis of grace and grace alone. That's the whole point of the parable of Matthew chapter 20. And the reason why we read the parable and instinctively we feel this tension and maybe a little bit of frustration or resentment or anger when we see the fifth hour, the, the 11th hour workers, the five o'clock workers getting the same thing as the first hour workers is because we instinctively think more about the issue of merit and equality than we do about the issue of grace. And we fail to understand that salvation tells us, the kingdom of God tells us, no matter when you come into the kingdom and no matter how much you've done when you're in the kingdom, everyone enters the kingdom of God solely on the basis of grace and grace alone. It's not on the basis of your goodness. It's not on the basis of your merit. It's not on the basis of fairness. I put this in your notes as well. I think it summarizes it even better. The economy of heaven is grounded in the currency of grace and not merit. The economy of heaven is grounded in the currency of grace and not merit. Nobody gets to heaven on the basis of their own personal merit or goodness. Nobody deserves heaven. And yet for many of us, we so often forget the truth of our spiritual standing that no matter when we got saved, and no matter how long we've been saved, and no matter how much we've come to church, and no matter how much we've done for God in the church, Everyone in this place today is a beggar dependent upon the grace of a benevolent almighty God for salvation. Everyone. So no matter when you come or no matter how much you've done, everyone enters the kingdom of God solely on the basis of grace and grace alone. With that in mind, I think there are four important applications that we can draw from this parable. Four things that we see going on in the background that help us to understand the importance of this. One of those is that you and I need to be very careful to beware of the grace killers of greed and envy and entitlement. You and I need to 
as followers of Jesus, we need to guard our hearts because there are these grace killers out there, and we've already alluded to them. Envy, entitlement, fairness, equality, greed. And, and, and these things aren't bad things. In fairness and equality are not bad things. They're, they're the foundation for a, a just and righteous economy. But we need to be real careful when fairness and equality begin to be grounded in areas such as greed and envy and entitlement. As I've already said, one of the most disturbing things about this parable is that many of us don't quite understand it when we first read it. And many of us naturally side with the first hour workers that the owner of the, uh, than the owner of the vineyard when we read this parable. We tend to think that those who work longer are entitled to more pay than those who work less. And we misunderstand the whole idea that Jesus is not teaching us a, a parable about fairness in business. He's teaching us about the need for grace and salvation. I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. And one of the things that I've learned is for many of us in the church, some of us have been first-hour workers for so long that we forgot it was the grace of God that got us in the kingdom in the first place. Some of us have been first-hour workers for so long. We've been, in, we've been in the vineyard so long that we've forgotten that it was the grace of the Master that brought us into the vineyard to begin with. That we didn't deserve it 30 years ago when we got saved, and we don't deserve it anymore now than we did 30 years ago. And if we're not careful, some of us have potentially begun to drift into a relationship with God that is grounded more in entitlement and merit than in the grace of God. The longer you're a Christian, the more you have this tendency to, to base the reality of, of your spiritual standing on, on entitlement and merit rather than grace. These verses aren't on the screen, but I want to read them to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes beggars and, and gives us entrance into the kingdom of God to begin with, that He makes Himself poor so that you and I can become rich by His righteousness. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because work, by works of the law no one will be justified, Paul says. You see, the further away we get from the moment of our justification, the more we have a tendency to drift away from the gospel of grace. And in its place, we subtly replace grace with greed and envy and entitlement. And so we think that because we're a Christian, that God owes it to us to bless us. That God owes it to us to do good things for us. That because we love God and because we go to church and that, that, that God needs to do more for us. And when we go through a, a season of dryness, when we go through a season of, of trial, when we go through a season of turmoil, then we begin to complain against God and begin to act like He's doing something wrong to us because if we're not careful, our hearts begin to get ruled by greed and entitlement. 
Somehow or another, God owes us things. And when we see others who seem to prosper, we get envious of them, just like these first-hour workers. And we say, I've been a Christian for a lot longer, and why is it that I'm having to go through this? The further away we get from our justification, the more we have a tendency to drift from the whole idea that no matter when you come and no matter how much you've done, everyone enters the kingdom of God on the basis of grace and grace alone. You see, greed has a way of choking out gratitude. And greed is actually, when it comes to the Lord, greed is actually a mentality that says, God owes me. That's what greed is. God owes me. Look at how good I am. Look at how much I go to church. Look at how many things I've done. Look at me compared to that person. God owes me for being such a righteous person. You know what Jesus calls that? Phariseeism. Envy is where we begin to play the comparison game and we turn our eyes onto what others have instead of what we truly have and understand that everything that we have is simply because of the grace of a good and benevolent God to begin with. So what reason do we have to be envious of someone else because they've got a nicer house or a nicer car or a prettier family? What reason do we have to be envious because everything we have has been given to us by the grace of God? Greed and envy and entitlement are spiritually deadly cancers that will absolutely destroy your understanding of grace. And they will eventually lead you and me into a works-based performance view of salvation where we base our spiritual standing on the impressiveness of our own good works and our own moral perfections rather than on the perfections of Jesus Christ that were won for us. Beware of the grace killers of greed and envy and entitlement. But secondly, another important lesson that we see here is this. The longer you are in the kingdom of God, the greater the danger of grace amnesia. We alluded to this a second ago. The longer you're in Christ's kingdom, the greater the danger of having amnesia when it comes to the gospel. Many of us have become quite adept at hanging out in God's vineyard because we've been in the church for so long. And because it's been so long since many of us have been lost, we have forgotten what it felt like. Since it's been so long since many of us didn't have a relationship with God, we forgot what it's like to be spiritually destitute apart from Jesus. We've forgotten what lost feels like. We've forgotten the the weight of standing before a holy, almighty God, guilty of your sin and worthy of eternal destruction. The longer you're a Christian, the greater the tendency towards amnesia of the gospel. And by gospel amnesia, I don't mean forgetting the fact that you are saved. By gospel amnesia, I don't mean forgetting the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. By gospel amnesia, what I mean is forgetting the fact that you never get over the need for the gospel and the grace of God. That's gospel amnesia. That if you've been a Christian for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, when you woke up this morning, you woke up as a person that was just as much in need of the gospel and and the grace of Jesus Christ as you were 50 years ago when you gave your life to Christ. We never should forget that. And here's where the the tension comes in, because after we become Christians, we begin to learn a new set of rules and realities that should govern our lives. God gives us the Spirit, and the Spirit of God inside of us begins to develop within us a love for God and a love for others. He begins to change our hearts, and we become people who naturally love because that's what God does. 
The Spirit of God gives us a desire to know God better by knowing His Word. And the Spirit of God gives us a desire to, to be with God's people and, and, and to be in His church with, with other people and to hear His Word preached. And all of these things are good things. But the problem is that the longer you're a Christian, the greater the danger that we can begin to take the disciplines of grace which make us more like Jesus, and instead we turn them into spiritual markers that measure our spiritual goodness. The longer you're a Christian, the more you begin to use these, these, these disciplines of grace like, like worship and Bible engagement and church involvement and evangelism, these disciplines that God gives us that make us more like Jesus, we begin to turn them into spiritual merit badges. And we begin to say things like, I know God is pleased with me because I go to church. And I go to church and other people don't, so I know God is pleased with me. I know God is pleased with me because I'm a nice person who does nice things for others. And because I don't participate in activities with, like people who don't know Jesus. We begin to rest in these realities instead of the grace of God that actually empowers these realities and brought them into our lives to begin with. And when we do, we become the first hour workers who forgot that that morning when they woke up, they woke up poor and penniless and desperately wanting someone to hire them. And we begin to think, I've been working in the vineyard for so long, I've gotten comfortable. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the very first beatitude, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? The word poor in spirit there means those who continually realize their spiritual bankruptcy apart from Jesus. Blessed are those who continually remember, apart from Christ, I am spiritually destitute. I have nothing. Blessed are you. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. My prayer is that I and you and all of us never get over the grace of God that saved us to begin with and that we never drift into grace amnesia. The third application I see here is simply this. When it comes to salvation, all of us are simply beggars at the mercy of a benevolent God. When it comes to salvation, all of us are simply beggars at the mercy of a benevolent God. You see, when we read this story, we're naturally prone to read the differences between these workers, right? It's the way the story is set up. And so we see that some people work 12 hours, some people work 9 hours, some people work 6 hours, some people work 3 hours, some people only worked 1 hour. We see what made each of these groups of people different and how the master rewarded all of them the same even though each of them were different. And the point that Jesus wants us to see is not just how long each of them worked, but that all of them started the day in the very same desperate condition. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. Not how long they worked, not how much work they did, but the fact that every single one of them started that morning in the same desperate condition. Every single one of them woke up that morning without a job, hoping that someone would be gracious enough to meet their needs. And what Jesus wants you and I to turn our attention to in this parable is not how hard the first hour works, workers worked in comparison to the eleventh hour works, 
workers worked. But what Jesus wants us to turn our attention to is the benevolence of the vineyard owner. Because look back at what he says in chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. It's a kingdom parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out to hire workers. And when he did, every single one of them were in desperate need of work that day. And he hired all of them, some at the first hour, some at the third, some at noon, some at three, some at five. But every single one of them were hired, and every single one of them received more that day than any of them could have possibly imagined when they woke up that morning. Because the reality of it is, is that the central point of the parable isn't the workers, it's the landowner. He's the central point of the parable. He's the one to whom we should be looking. And what we see is that when it comes to salvation, all of us are simply beggars at the mercy of a benevolent God. We are spiritually desperate and destitute with no hope for any life beyond this world except the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever allow yourself to drift from the truth of your desperate situation apart from Christ. Some of you in here were brought into the kingdom in the first hour. Some of you were brought into the kingdom at noon. Some of you aren't in the kingdom yet, and the hour is getting late, and we're getting close to the 11th hour. But there's still room in the kingdom. Which brings us to the fourth and final point, which is this. The Master is still calling people into His kingdom of grace. That's the good news of the gospel, guys. That the Master is still calling people into His kingdom of grace. Look at verses 6 and 7. About the eleventh hour, He went out and found others standing, and He said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? Now, that word idle, again, we have this tendency to read that, that they were just standing around doing nothing all day long. They weren't standing around doing nothing. They were standing there because they were looking for work. And the owner is saying, Why are you still standing here? Why aren't you working? And they said, Because no one has hired us. No one has had the grace to give us a job yet. And he says, you go and work in my field too. Why? Because the master is still calling people into his kingdom of grace. Every time the master goes out, what does he find? He finds more people in need of grace. And right now there are thousands of 11th hour people standing around in our city waiting for someone to come and change their desperate situation. They do not know the beauty of the grace of the Master. And if nobody reaches them soon, night will come and the day will be done and they will perish without the spiritual resources necessary to save them. But the beauty of the gospel is the master has not stopped calling people into his kingdom of grace. You, Some of us sit around and we wonder, why hasn't Jesus come back? Look at how desperate our world is. Look at how bad things are. Why doesn't he just come and settle up accounts? And the reason why is because there are still thousands who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are still millions and billions of people around our planet who haven't yet heard about the graciousness of Jesus Christ. And instead of being first-hour workers who greedily look out for ourselves, let's be bold witnesses to go out and tell people about the grace of our Master.
because the master is still calling people into his kingdom. You see, no matter when you come or no matter how much you've done, all enter the kingdom of God solely on the basis of grace and grace alone. And because the master is still calling people into his kingdom, there is still room in his kingdom of grace for you. And so right now the master has sent his spirit and he's walking among our midst and he's going to each and every one of us and he's saying, do you want to be a part of my kingdom? Do you want to be part of my kingdom? Do you want to come and work in my kingdom? Do you want to come and be a part of my kingdom? And maybe he's calling you today. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've just kind of played religion. You just kind of bought into this idea that at the end of the day, I'm going to try to do as much good as I possibly can, and I'll try to avoid as much bad as I possibly can. And, and maybe at the end of the day, God is kind of like a giant accountant in heaven. And as long as I've got more debits than I do credits, then, then at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. When I go back to what I said at the beginning, no one deserves heaven. And no one gets into the kingdom of God on the basis of your merit. The only thing that gets you in the kingdom of God is surrendering your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know because I lived that good, bad reality for many, many years before I finally just surrendered, laid down my arms and said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. In just a moment, we're going to sing a a song of response, a song of invitation. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to kind of lay down that works-based mentality and just come to the feet of a gracious, benevolent master and say, I want to be part of your kingdom. Would you save me? So just a moment as we do that, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if you need to give your life to Jesus today, we want you to come down here and say, tell us that. We have some counselors that will be glad to go back and share with you about the gospel and walk you through that decision. Maybe you need to talk to somebody after church. That's fine. You just come and say, you know what, Matt? I need to get things right with God today. Don't leave this place today unsure that you're part of God's kingdom. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in just a moment? As we sing this song, you respond as the Lord Jesus leads you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a most gracious master. And Father, I pray that for those of us in this place who have been working in your vineyard, we've been called by you, we've responded, we've, we've given our hearts and lives to you, we've trusted you with everything that we are. And you've been so good and you've been so gracious. May we never forget the grace of our master and begin to think that somehow or another we are owed anything by you. God, help us to, to remember the gospel and to remember our need of grace and to never become gospel amnesiacs. Father, I pray for those in this room today who've never truly trusted you as their Lord and Savior. They're standing in the marketplace and they're waiting for somebody to come by to bring them into the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, would you speak to their heart today? Would you, would you give them the faith to believe? Would they trust you with their heart and life today? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing this song and respond as the Lord leads you?